Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the Oxford comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries and share the real truths about marketing and empower you to become a real marketer. Great. So first question, tell me something about yourself that few people really know. I was born in Copenhagen, Denmark, and spent the first few years of my life in Israel, and that my first language was Hebrew. Wow, that is actually really interesting. So did you pick up English when you were, you know, fairly young, or how, how was that transition for you? Yes, I did. I, I learned them somewhat side by side because my parents were uh, from the U.S. and they did speak English, but because I was spending most of my time in a Hebrew-speaking preschool in Tel Aviv, I became more proficient in Hebrew uh, than I was in English until a little bit later, until I was probably five or six when I when I definitely became more English-speaking dominant. And then I, of course, completely forgot Hebrew once we moved to the United States and I didn't have a chance to practice. That was my next question was, do, do you remember any of it? But No, I, you know, it's funny. I did attempt to relearn it um, as a, as a teenager. And I would say that I, I certainly ad- adopted and learned a little bit, but I never regained the fluency, which is why I, I always encourage anyone that will listen that please, please, let's educate our kids in as many different languages as we can early in life, because uh, you're never as good as when you are a child. No, and it's so interesting. So um, I have three children, and we've adopted all three of them internationally. And, you know, my first two were born in Bulgaria, and they came home when they were five. So they spoke Bulgarian. And I tried for probably nine months to learn Bulgarian. And I was like, so proud of myself when I went there the first time, and I started trying to speak in Bulgarian. And our translator was like, what are you trying to say? Those are those are not words. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) It is so true. Yes, I um I have tried to pick up a number of languages in older and later in life and it it never seems to quite turn the corner. But yes, children are so amazingly plastic in that way. Yeah, and our our kids learned English and gosh, they probably were home maybe 6 or 7 weeks when they were speaking in broken English and mm-hmm. it was crazy to me, right? And probably and I would say fairly fluent within 6 months. So That's phenomenal. interesting. It's interesting, right? Like adults you th- would think we could learn more than kids can, but not with languages. Not with so. languages, yes. <laughs> but and I know some people that have listened to the show know this about me, but I took four years of Spanish, like a lot of people did mm-hmm. growing up. And I would say I'm rusty is probably the best way to describe it. But if you give me like two or three glasses of wine, if someone starts speaking Spanish to me, I can like transition from English to Spanish and not realize it and carry on a full conversation. 
You just need but to be relaxed. That's all. I just need to be relaxed and not thinking about it, I guess. But my husband, he thinks it's pretty funny when it happens. That's awesome. That's so. great. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about all that stuff. We're here to talk about marketing. And you are a CMO. And I know the role of the CMO has changed a lot, you know, in the last 20 to 30 years and will continue to evolve. So I would love to get your perspective on, you know, what is the role of the CMO today in your opinion? Well, that is a very loaded question uh, because on the one hand, the role of the CMO is uh, what the company that is hiring the CMO wants it to be. And it's also, I always say, it's really what, what you as the individual um, want it to be because I would say that the CMO is covers so many different components of uh, growing and scaling a business in a differentiated way. Um, I would I would say that today more than ever it's feeling a lot more like a chief growth officer. So. Yes, we continue to do amazing promotional work and build brands. And increasingly, it's more important that CMOs are in the rooms where conversations around growth strategy are happening, because that really is the key enabler to being able to drive the kind of success that you want as, as a CMO. Um, it, it has been interesting to me. I've been doing this for almost 20 years, and I've worked in marketing roles that were heavily promotional and really focused on uh, what people often think about as, as marketing, which is advertising and ways to create a lot of awareness and um, uh, pull for your product. And then I've also worked on marketing roles where you're spending most of your time thinking about product market fit. And that's one of the amazing things about marketers is uh, the really good ones are, are really agile. Um, and then they're also, um, you know, very focused on addressing what the company that they're working with needs at a given time. So when you see these titles of like chief growth officer, you know, VP of growth, and that's opposite of, you know, the CMO or VP of marketing role, what kind of conflict do you think is going to exist in the organization in that situation? It's a great question because yes, we continue, we've added a lot of roles, chief revenue officers, chief growth officers, chief digital officers to the plethora of roles within organizations. And in the past, I would say that marketing leaders or chief marketing officers would pick up a number of those responsibilities. I think it's important as uh, someone who's looking at their next opportunity or what, whichever opportunity is 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 laying ahead of you to to really understand what the vision for the organization is. I don't think it's an inherent conflict. I don't think that there needs to be a corner on growth. And just because there is a chief growth officer doesn't mean that the marketing leader isn't also expected to think about ways that the company can increase revenue and profitability. In fact, that's absolutely part of the job. But it is helpful to understand where does the CMO, is the CMO expected to play? Where is the CMO expected to lead and where are they potentially expected to follow? No, I think that's a really great point. I would love to hear from you, you know, as you've taken on CMO roles in different organizations, where do you get started? Because I think sometimes that's a challenge for, especially someone maybe that this is their first CMO role 
or they're moving into a different industry than what they're used to is to know there's so much to tackle, especially when you start talking about, you know, revenue and growth and optimization, you know, where do you focus and how do you determine what the business needs you to prioritize? That's a great question. And it's changed a lot as frankly, as technology has, has caught up to our aspirations. So I started my career as a consultant. I was a, a management consultant, I guess you could say strategy consultant, but I, I found that the strategy and marketing projects kind of had a ton of overlap because it really was about how do I help companies solve new and novel business problems. So I started my career building a capability to get up to speed fast on a business. And I used to do it, you know, 20 plus years ago, the old consulting way where you would go in and you'd have a whole bunch of meetings. You'd sit down with a hundred people and ask them a set of questions and you would start to triangulate around specific insights. You'd start to see patterns and you'd also start to potentially carry forward experiences that you'd had in prior assignments to start to understand where I like to call like the biggest rocks are and not independent of just being a marketing rock. What are the biggest things that this business needs to solve for in order to um, achieve its its vision and its its mission? Now, what's been nice is as I've been on this journey and I've done this many, many times now, there is a lot more technology that can help support a more efficient way of getting at those answers. So a great example of what I did in my most current role, which was at Thought Exchange, is I was trying to figure out what are the needs of our organization as it relates to marketing, as it relates to the product, uh, to the, the chief marketing officer and the marketing function. I asked the organization and I used our software, which is um, a platform to essentially uh, generate a scaled discussion with, can be 10 people, it can be 10,000 people. In our case, it was a little under 200 and asked them, what are the most important perspectives for me to understand about marketing at Thought Exchange and specifically my role as the chief marketing officer? And every, I would say we had really high participation and we were able to, during using this platform, have 150 people say what they were thinking independently and then look at the thoughts that were shared by others anonymously and rate them. And so coming out of that, and actually before I even started in my role, I had a prioritized list of what the organization felt were the most important things for me to address. Now, again, that is a set of opinions and perspectives, but they're really important because it is now a statistically significant group of folks who have been in the organization for a while. I was then able to apply looking at, okay, here are the five or six things that the organization believes are most critical for us to address within marketing. And then I was able to apply my prior experiences, seeing patterns in other organization about what works and what doesn't to map out an agenda for where to get started. So again, you know, I was excited because what used to take me at least a couple months now took me a few minutes um, and I was able to jump in much more quickly to start to identify, okay, we really need to define and, and be more front footed on the brand. We really need to clarify the specific business problems to solve. We were able to really dig in much more quickly. 
I love what you said about that because I think one of the things that people often do is one, they look at you know, marketing leaders, the data that they have and technology has made that easier for us. And then they often talk to customers, but a lot of times they don't talk to everyone in the organization like you have and really get their opinion. They talk to maybe sales or, you know, a couple of other people in the, in connected roles, but not broader, which I think is really unique. So, you know, why did you, I know, obviously the software of thought exchange empowers that, but why did you think that was so important to do early on? I, I would say that a couple things. One was I joined the company about five months ago. So I'm fairly new in this role. And we were in the midst of, and we are still in the midst of one of the most challenging times in the world for everyone um, because of the pandemic. And then as it relates to businesses, a time of significant um, disruption. And for a technology like Thought Exchange, where um, there's a potential for the platform to solve for some of that disruption by helping uh, companies and businesses to kind of refine their footing and to develop more clarity and alignment on a strategy. Um, I thought that, frankly, there just wasn't a minute to waste. So I knew that if it took me three or six months to get what I like to call that nose for value, which is where is my energy best spent in these first few months, that that would have been three or four months that, frankly, we couldn't get back. And that there was this really unique time that we're all living through where people, businesses, uh, organizations are all looking to um, find their place in this new ecosystem. And so I felt like as a company that seeks to help serve companies and organizations that that want to do that, if we spent many more months trying to find our way to the answer in a more traditional way, that would have been fewer companies that we can help, fewer problems we can solve for customers. And um, frankly, there's just opportunity costs. So I felt like it was really important to get to the really reallys, as I like to call them, faster. Um, and for for me, coming into new organizations is always um, there's always challenges as leaders are coming into organizations because you do want to make sure that um, people feel like they've been heard, that they've contributed. Um, to the solutions that then they're going to own and, and execute. And so I thought it was a great way also to gain a bit more quick um, understanding, alignment, and buy-in. I love that. Is there anything, you know, you've had a couple of CMO roles today. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you wish you would have known, right? Like if you could have got, gone back five years or you know, seven, 10 years ago and told yourself, as a marketing leader, oh, don't worry about this or focus more on this. You know, what advice do you wish that you had? Uh, that's a great question. I would, I would probably have told myself uh, that there is no one role. There's no one definition of a great CMO. And it, it does need to be a combination of factors that define what it is to be a CMO in a specific role. Um, so I probably would have encouraged myself to uh, do a couple of things. One is understand, frankly, before you even join the organization, before you accept that role, really uh, 
encourage the group of folks who are hiring you to define what they think a CMO does. And then be really clear on what it is and be very um, uh, clear with yourself and what you're good at. Um, and, and, and make sure that there's some alignment there. Um, so that would be one thing I would definitely make sure that, uh, that, I, that I told myself. I, I would say the other thing is dig as deep as you can into the, uh, as we talked about with the, you know, the chief growth officer role, um, be clear that you understand where marketing fits into the organization, because that also can send you some really helpful clues and cues on um, what, what expectations are going to be um, uh, attached to the CMO and frankly, maybe what limitations. And then I would say that the the last piece is don't feel constrained by any type of, and this is for those who maybe haven't been in a CMO role before, by how others are doing it. Um, you know, the role of the CMO is to be innovative and to continue to kind of figure out how to do things differently and better. Um, and so there's a really amazing opportunity every time you take on a new CMO role to continue to uh, improve upon what it means to be a CMO. Uh, it's a very, it's a very agile and flexible type of role. So then when you think about, you know, CMOs and, you know, kind of what's next, you know, in your own career, do you ever think about, you know, I love marketing, I want to stay in marketing, or, you know, do you also share that belief that I know some people have, including myself, which is sometimes the best CMOs make the best CEOs. Um, because a lot of what you have to do to your point was around agility. Like you're constantly having to, in some, in some situations, read the tea leaves, right? What's the data telling me? What are consumers doing? How do I get ahead of what behaviors they might have to drive my organization down a path it needs to go? So, you know, kind of, do you think the CMO role prepares you well for a CEO role in the future or could, um, and what's your kind of take on that situation? I think if you define the CMO role and you 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 create the right environment for uh, learning and um, exposure to the business, I think it absolutely does. And that's why you know I, I mentioned it's so critical to ask as many questions as you can and to really gain some agreement and alignment on what the what the CMO will be um, expected to. Be, participate in and frankly what they'll be um, invited to participate in because absolutely you know to the extent that you're thinking about who we should target what their key needs are how to best connect with them how to keep them happy and sustainable customers that's kind of the lifeblood of a business so absolutely if you can then have impact on a number of those different factors it's great preparation for a bigger, more general management role, whether it's a divisional president, if you're in a large company, or potentially a CEO. Uh, for me, you know, my my motivation has always been to find business problems that interest me, and I've been a little less concerned about the title. Um, I've I've been in a number of roles where my title has been kind of head of strategy. Uh, and it has had a heavy marketing emphasis, but I wasn't necessarily as focused on the, 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 the late stage execution of marketing as much as on the earlier upstream uh, definition of the, the product, the value proposition, the go to market. 
The, the other thing that's interesting, so in my current role, as an example, when I was talking to the leadership team, we had a number of conversations about what would be in and out of scope for marketing. And one of the areas where I was really excited to, uh, to take on was product management. So my role, and it's, it's not that common, but my role as CMO encompasses not, not just marketing, not just product marketing, but also the product management product organization. So it's a phenomenal opportunity to gain a level of alignment all the way through the value chain from what we design and create for our customers to how we deliver it and to how we keep those customers um, really uh, healthy, happy, and and, and continuing to um, to stick with us. So there's there's a level of continuity that I was able to create and and build in this role that could be a phenomenal model for other companies. I love that you said that because we must be two peas in a pod then because I also own product management. You are kidding. That's so cool. No, sir. And I don't talk to many other marketers. They're like, that's interesting. I'm like, yeah, but if you think about it, right, my my job is to know the customers the best and to know what they need and what they want, what the, what's going on in the market. So why wouldn't I help direct the product? That's exactly the conversations that we had when I was um, coming on board. And it has been, and again, there are different seasons, right, for different um, types of combinations. But in this case, it's been really magical because we've been able to, as you said, identify unmet, potentially even unarticulated needs that customers or future customers had, and then work to not just put a feature into the product, but to really put the outcome and the experience that we understand the customer is looking for into into the product and the product experience. So there's a level of, um, you know, as we always say, like, I think the best marketers are highly empathic people who can put their shoes into the, uh, put their feet into the shoes of the people that we're serving. And so being able to take that and bring that to the product management discipline has been a really uh, incredible unlock for us. No, I couldn't agree more. One of the other things I know that you're really passionate about is you know, we talked about it earlier around growth, but how businesses tend to only scratch the surface when they think about driving differentiation for their business and how that they can turn that into really accelerated growth. So I'd love to just kind of start to dive into that a little bit. So when you think about that topic, you know, what comes to mind for you? I think what comes to mind for me is the way it's a couple, it's a kind of a confluence of different factors. So large organizations tend to have a phenomenal amount of talent in their company, in their organizations. And and my my fear always is, and I've seen it play out in, in other places where I've worked, that you're not necessarily hearing all the best ideas and thoughts and perspectives from across your organization. And that often as a leader, it gets, you can get fairly isolated and siloed and you can start to rely on a very small number of perspectives to form 
a point of view and to make critical decisions about the direction of your business or how to solve a particular problem that is um, happening in a distributed way around your organization. Then you add COVID and the way in which we all migrated overnight to a remote work environment where everybody was distributed and some of the ways in which you gained a level of customer or field intimacy, because I've always been of the belief that spending time in the field with people who are on the front line, selling your product, delivering your product, whatever the case may be, is, is, is where a lot of the best ideas uh, are, are bubbled up. And now that we were faced for the past year with a time where we couldn't necessarily jump on a plane and go down to Miami and, and check out a store and see what's going on or talk to a, go visit a customer and see how they're interacting with, with your product, we've been quite limited. Um, and so what I've started to get concerned about or wanting to figure out how to solve is how do you make sure that you're not only hearing loud voices that are more kind of um, forceful about their opinions, and you're also not hearing too many ivory tower perspectives and missing those who are having those day-to-day -day interactions with your customers. Um, so that's kind of, I, I would say, my, my overall philosophy on, on how do we turn the tide and create technology, create processes and systems that allow us to take these great distributed teams of people who are um, interacting day to day with our customers and make sure we're, we're hearing their perspectives. What do you think most businesses are missing when they're, you know, even when they think about implementing something like you just discussed, what are they missing out on or where are they starting to fall short in those efforts? I would say probably two things. So one is, and, and I, I can say this because I was a consultant and I did create a lot of strategies that, you know, in hindsight were probably created a little bit um, in um, perfect laboratory environments. What good strategies fail, great strategies fail because they don't always take into full account the realities of the market, the realities of the teams, the realities of um, the customers, and they can seem really great on paper. And then when you translate them into execution, they, they kind of fall apart. And so I think that that's one thing is there's a lot of organic situational factors that you only hear when you're talking to the frontline salesperson that's going to have to go implement this big idea or the um you know the person who is in customer service and is working day to day to address problems or challenges that that might come out of one of the big initiatives that you're um that 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 you're promoting and so that in and of itself i think is it's important to get that pressure test early on the other thing is I, I started uh, when I was an undergrad, I was a psychology major and the um, dynamics of, of groups are, are fascinating because depending on the, the role or level of persuasion of somebody, an idea that probably shouldn't have risen to the top can actually gain a lot of momentum simply because of group dynamics. Um, and so any way that you can try to strip out sometimes some of those either hierarchical dynamics 
or just the tendency sometimes of groups to hear one idea and everyone just jumps on it instead of taking a little bit of time to say, let's pull up a wider range of thinking and then let's take some time to, in a more methodical way, look at various scenarios and solutions and decide amongst a broader set of them what's the best uh, opportunity. I think that is a huge uh, watch out for a lot of leaders. I know I've certainly had those times where I get really motivated and get a lot of momentum on a solution or an idea before I've really vetted whether it's the right one. And so those are ways in which if we can leverage technology to access more perspectives and we can do so in an efficient way, the hope is that you don't get overly um overly attached to an idea before you've given it enough kind of diligence and compared it to some other potential ways to solve something. I love what you just said about, you know, how bad or not even bad strategies, okay strategies can fail and great strategies can fail because it's so true. And one of the things that I think sometimes as marketers and really just as humans, right? We all don't like failure, but so much good comes out of failure. Yes, absolutely. Well, and the other thing that's it's interesting is okay strategies can be wildly successful if everybody gets behind them. And so that's the other big piece that, you know, as we've seen this year, a lot of companies have had to look at the market, identify what does work and maybe what doesn't work anymore because of the way in which their customers are living their lives and the way in which their customers' needs have changed. And, um, you know, there, there may be some good or okay strategies that if executed well in a aligned way can be very successful. And so it's, it's, it's nice to be, I'm a very idealistic person. I want to get the best strategy, but I always have to remind myself that sometimes an okay strategy executed really well because everyone's on board, everybody knows what they need to be doing, can be more successful and would be more successful than what we think is a brilliant strategy, but didn't go through the proper vetting and the proper um, uh, buy-in to get everybody rowing in the same direction. So true. So last question for you, if you could think of, you know, one thing that all marketers need to hear from your perspective, what would that be? It's a basic thing, but I, I, I just feel like it is, I get reminded of it each and every time as a marketer, you are first and foremost, the, the voice of, and the channel of your customer. So and, and your current customer, your future desired customer, when you're in meetings, it's very easy to get caught up in you know KPIs and specific deals and specific opportunities. But the more that you can be the one who is asking the challenging questions around, does our customer really need this? Why would our customer care? Is this really the best thing we could do to build that long lasting relationship with our customer? those types of questions will always get you to a better solution and a better answer. You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret.